This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. It's wonderful to have you with us. And tonight we're going, I titled it, Healthcare for Patients and Not for Big Pharma. And we'll go into a number of areas. And I really did want to get someone, a medical person, to actually make a little bit of sense to what we've gone through. But um, David, maybe we can start off by looking at, before we look at what we faced and your thoughts as a doctor, uh, looking forward. And I want to end up on your initiative, because I think many people now, the last place they want to go is to visit a doctor or to go to the hospital. And I know the initiative that you're setting up that people can find. Maybe we'll uh, just mention that for a minute, the, uh, your website and what people can find on that. I will come back to that at the end, because I think it's quite vital to have that practical information of where we go when we, I think, have learned to distrust and mistrust our institutions. So mention what you're doing on, on the website. Of course, yeah. Um, so I've set up um, a business, really, that uh, is slightly off-grid, really, in a way. It's slightly different to NHS. And uh, I've had to be careful, really, because there's a lot of uh, micromanagement and over-regulation of the medical profession. I think one of the first things I did, really, when I considered what I would do outside of the NHS was, you know, why do we as doctors accept that level of regulation, that level of micromanagement? And, you know, doctors have so many, you know, administrative staff above them and management and managers and managers and managers and chair folk and all that, and not medically trained. So there's this whole hierarchy. So I deliberately set about really setting up something that was sort of off grid. But to do that, that's to really limit what I can do without having to get kind of you know regulation from things like cqc etc so i'm i'm offering a service that is i am a gp by definition that's the title i can use um i've, I've got experience of you know 15 years of being a doctor now 10 years training so i can use that nobody the, the first thing i've really said to myself was nobody owns that knowledge that knowledge is mine to share and to give and to use and it's been bought and paid for you know through university believe me if you saw my student loan statement now gone um so essentially it's a, it's a, it's a website set up so patients it's telemedicine so it's obviously limited to you know if you've got a dodgy ear i can't get my otoscope out and have a look at you if you're in scotland and i'm in cornwall um so that's a limitation in itself um but what you've got is um you know, it's a telephone, well, a telemedicine advisory service. Um, it's a signposting service. It helps people navigate through the system in the best way. There's a lot of things that patients don't know how to navigate the NHS service, like waiting lists. How do you get a, an appointment with the consultant that you wish? How do you get the quickest appointment? I, I give them the sort of tips of how to get through the system to, to achieve those things. So it's gone really well so far, to be honest. It's um, it's going really well. Like I said, I have to be very clear to people that it's kind of a health advisory signpost guidance service. Um, you know, and I've, I've deliberately, actually deliberately really have decided not to prescribe. Um, and I think I've covered about 350 patients now. And I've, I think I've had to advise two or three medications in the whole time. I've looked at very much a holistic approach to getting patients better from their problems, helping them navigate, you know, what they should really expect from their GP as well. Um, because GPs sometimes need to be nudged in the right direction. You know, if you're 
Um, one of the things I've noticed that patients have tried their GP, either they don't answer or they still do telephone constantly, and they just don't know where to go with their weight loss. And, you know, sometimes I've had to send them back to their own GP for their, you know, to dip back into that service to help them. So so in a nutshell, that's what it is. It's advisory. And it's just being a listening ear and supporting and, you know, a bit like a life coach, really, but a medical coach. That's okay. Right. Yeah. And it's a bit like I always say to patients, you know, when we when we start off our consultations that, you know, let's pretend that we're, we're I'm your doctor and, and you're my patient, except I haven't got your notes in front of you. This is what I would say to you based upon. So I take a full history and I'm not limited by having to see people every seven and a half, eight minutes or, um, you know, all that sort of stuff around the administrative stuff. I can be the doctor now that I want to be holistic, mm. really listen to that patient. You're trained as a GP to be holistic, think about the biopsychosocial aspect of the patient's care. And I can really do that now. It's time limit free. So, you know, I spend like today, I've done two or three consultations. They're about an hour, an hour plus. Um, so the patients really do feel like they're getting sort of value for money in that respect. And I've set the pricing very cheaply, really, for private healthcare. Um, so it's accessible and affordable to the majority, really. I think, I think, you know, like I say, I did an hour and a half consultation today for 40 quid. So, you know, it's uh, it's not like the, the top end prices. So. Okay. No, we'll, we'll get into that. And my thought is we need hundreds and hundreds of what you're doing across the country. But I think we'll, we'll, we'll end off on that. Uh, let's go and touch on some other areas. I'm just looking on the uh, getter let me just pull in one or two of the getter chat so chris davis 33 good evening peter percentage 62 hi peter david and everyone bob moran evening hw logan hello from idaho uh sony joy nelson uh from getter getter premo and can i just mention on getter because david cartland obviously is using at dr cartland many people have been suspended from twitter some people were back on and i've certainly enjoyed watching his profile on getter as of many people so if if you want to have a platform that actually you're not worried about uh whether you will get kicked off or not which even people at the moment are worried on twitter if they're allowed on then still uh tomorrow's a new day and who knows what happens that getter i think people are safe to discuss these issues to have freedom um and david you're prolific on on getter <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I keep it up to date. And that just represents really the amount of reading I do. I never stop for two years reading, researching um, and keeping on top. You know, I, I have got a bit more time on my hands these days, given the NHS treatment of me down here. But, you know, it's really important to keep up to date, particularly on this subject, because it's so important. Oh, completely. Yeah, keep the posting regular. Um, Div, during the... People call it different things, and I think I would agree with uh, scamdemic and pandemic. Uh, I've become very skeptical of of what I see, what I hear, what I read, um, and there are many. Maybe we can just touch on some of the things and how they affected you, and how doctors or health system has got back to any normality. I mean, one was obviously doctors only being visited on the phone, so face to face was too dangerous, um, and I know uh, that when one of my children we wanted to get a doctor who wasn't feeling well and you had to do an online form then you had to talk to someone else then it, there was no just making a point with a doctor and what what is the situation and how has that affected the healthcare available to the population yeah good question i mean i have been out of clinical practice in terms of general primary care now for a good seven or eight months now i've resigned back in it would have been february actually last year 
this year just gone. Um, so in terms of, I've been working at an urgent care centre really, so you do see the overspill that patients walk in. It's a walk-in centre essentially run by yeah. GPs and patients are walking in because the doctors are not able to, they just haven't got the capacity to yeah. see yeah. them. So they come in, you know, with chronic, I've had back pain for 12 weeks and they're in a, essentially an A&E department and the A&E departments are seeing that as well. I mean, uh, through my drcarton.com, I've had patients come to me saying, you know, they've had fits after their booster, for example, and the doctors diagnosed them as having anxiety over a telephone call. You know, this is a serious presentation if a patient's fitted after a bit, two days after their booster, this was the autumn booster. It's a real case. Um, and she was told, she was put on Bendafaxine, which was an uh, antidepressant. Um, and told it was anxiety because this doctor made that diagnosis over the telephone, never even saw the patient. Then then about a week ago, I had a, a seven-year-old, somebody rang about the seven-year-old with a fever, et cetera. They didn't know what else to do. They'd Googled me from, you know, word of mouth. Somebody just said, um, try this Dr. Carton. And, you know, we went through the consultation and the reason they contacted me was because the surgery said, we're not seeing anyone that's not under five and over 80 or a nursing home resident. That's all they said. Uh, so there's a big gap of people in the middle there. And the other thing people are noticing and still haven't got back to really is like with all this telephone consulting, you know, no one's getting back to a full list. Now they're just triage, triage, triage. And what that really does is it, you know, the doctors are saying each day, you know, we'll see, an, is it an emergency for today? And obviously, you know, if you've got, you know, rectal bleeding for four or five weeks from a pile or something more sinister, you know, is that ever going to reach the top of the pile in terms of what a person would define an emergency? Um, and so this is why it's missing a chunk of people in the middle with subacute or chronic things. And, and that's where some of the contributions towards the, the cancers and the, you know, the, the late cancer diagnosis comes from, as well as the obvious. You know, it's, um, you know, people not being able to access the GP. It's, it's scandalous, really, that doctors can get away with saying we're only seeing under fives and over 80s. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. We're three years on now. These guys are jabbed up to the hilt. I tried to take my own daughter with we a respiratory tract illness the other day and the, the GP came on the phone to my wife and said, look, you know, she needs to get masked up and have a lateral flow test. And my wife actually said to her, you know, aren't you all jabbed? And she said, well, we need to protect our patients and our staff. I said, well, you all had about six jabs each, haven't you? Um, and to which she just said, no, you need to wear a mask and you need to get a lateral flow. What, why are we still going on with this charade three years on? If all these measures have worked successfully, why are we continuing to follow something that clearly doesn't work? And that's everything from lockdowns down to masks, down to distancing, down to face masks. It's ridiculous. Where do you actually, just on that and then back on some of the issues, where obviously what's happening in china and the information we're being given uh, whether it's true or not uh, i don't know but we're being told that hospitals are full that actually there are a wave of covid and it seems as though that is the initial part of a push for again restrictions and measures here in the uk because that's what we had before stories from china meant that we had restrictions here and um, what are your what are your kind of thoughts living through the last two and a half, three years, what are your thoughts when you hear stories coming out of China once again of uh, of COVID supposedly uh, infecting people and causing chaos? Yeah, it's another penny drop moment, really. I mean, they've been living under zero COVID policy, haven't they, with the, the most totalitarian measures really known to man, you know, where they've been literally stuffing people in their flats and actually uh, welding welding the front doors closed haven't they and people waving with their empty fridges from the top floor you know it's incredible and yet all of these measures you know testing and the code system that they've got you know where they you know people can't go and travel and move you see tents lay out on the streets and obviously they're not working are they these when are people going to step back and say we're five jabs down now 
you know, the testing, it doesn't seem to be doing what it says on the tin. It's not mm. stop this thing, you know. And, and, you know, we go back to the basic science, really, and um, what doctors don't seem to understand, the whole antibody-dependent enhancement. You know, we've called this from the beginning, those of us who've been awake, those of us with a scientific background, not a medical background, I happen to have both. Yeah. You know, and, and Geert van Bosch, for example, he's been saying from the very beginning, you know, we need to look out for this immune escape, this uh, um, antibody-dependent enhancement, which is essentially where the, va- the virus learns to dodge the bullet, if you like, a bit like a bacteria that becomes resistant to having the same antibiotic over and over again. This is what happens when you don't have neutralizing antibodies produced. And, you know, we've, we've hit the wrong, you know, if we if this was even something that works, we're hitting the wrong antibody system anyway. We're not looking at mucosal immunity here, which is the crux of how you stop a respiratory tract infection. We're talking about um, a completely different immune system. Yeah. What 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 are you, what are your thoughts on information getting out? Because with the, I guess restrictions on Twitter being lifted, but you still have everything. You've still got Google. You've still got Facebook. And everything else. But with those restrictions being lifted, uh, I guess information will flow more freely, and that may affect the ability of governments to shut down and to persuade us to accept whatever measures we're given. There's a massive tide of turning, isn't there, at the moment? You can see whenever, I think I saw something that somebody shared on Facebook, it was the kind of NHS patting themselves on the back for two years since the first vaccine went in the arm or something, and the backlash that you see in the comments section, it's changed very very quickly, and, and they get completely, I think the phrase is ratioed, isn't it, where they just get completely battered by people calling them out for lying and the fraud that's happened. So I think there's only so much, you know, I think, the public's perception is shifting now. People are voting with their arms. The uptake is very low. People, I think they've pushed it too far when they went for children and pregnant. Um, you know, and I've stuck to, stuck to my guns on that. You know, that it's an easy win for me, pregnancy and children. Absolutely. No one's challenged me on that in terms of the data. It's, it's, it's on risk benefit analysis alone. It's just not necessary. So, yeah, people are, you know, people are sharing now. I mean, I'm still banned on all the social media apart from managed to get back into Twitter and Getter and that's about it. Um, you know, I've, I've been censored for doing interviews where I've held documents up to the camera and read them off the government website, MHRA data, yellow card data, and that's been deemed misinformation. Um, so, yeah, it, we need to we need to start talking now and, and connecting. And, you know, we're seeing it again amongst the doctors. We're starting to connect now and speak and say, we're seeing this now. I'm even, see, I'm even hearing stories of hospital doctors now when they see a patient with chest pain, breathless, they're 20, first thing they get asked is, have you had the vaccine? So these are promising stories and there's recognition now, even in the asleep, I hate using the wake and sleep, but in, in people that are sort of starting to wake up a little bit now and notice and ask the questions that are pertinent. We should be asking this at, at all times, really. Is this person vaccinated? We're not We're not seeing it with the all-cause mortality. You know, are these people vaccinated or not? The neonatal deaths in Scotland, are they were they vaccinated mums or not? You know, it's not difficult data to glean. There were only a handful of um, excess deaths, I think 60 across the two spikes. Just ask the mums. Were you vaccinated or were you not? And if 60 mums say, yes, we were vaccinated and our children perished, then there's a correlation there, isn't it? Uh, and it needs to be explored. You know, we've just as a group of doctors for Doctors Patient, Doctors for Patients UK, done a, a, done a, an, a, you know, a video montage where we've just said, you know, we need to stop pending investigation um, and, and look into this now. I mean, three years too late, really, in that, you know, this should have been done before the first needle at the first arm. Um, but, you know, these doctors have been threatened, the, the ones that did yeah. take part. There's 19 for a reason out of a group of 120 because people have been coerced and threatened to not take part or pressured by family, pressured by employers. And then they get the example of what's happened to me over the last two years, really. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. 
you know, just first defending ethics and defending children and defending pregnant patients, um, pregnant women. I keep saying pregnant patients. That's very worrying. <laughs> we did that on the last interview. Yeah, actually. We did, yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is because what what is the well let me ask with you, because you're I guess a whole range of different roles and different facets of Dr. David Carter. I mean, you've got the, the medical work still, so helping individuals with medical issues. You've got the speaking publicly on what's happening. And I guess you've also got the alliances forming of like-minded people within the medical community. Uh, what, what has that been like, those connections of, I guess, new alliances and new networks of doctors who don't just accept the first thing they're told tell us about how that's happened behind the scenes yeah there's a lot of us again it, do, it doesn't get publicized really about all these different schemes because you know you know google i'm part of as you've seen from my cup today and people's health alliance on the medical ambassadors that's a group of yep. people trying to operate off grid you know using their skills um etc and their specialities uh, and kind of creating an alternative to the nhs as soon as you post about people's health alliance on your facebook you get a 30 day ban or, you know, it'll get removed. Or I mean, the Doctors for Patients UK video went out last week. Within 30 minutes, YouTube had censored it for breaking community guidelines. Um, so it's just weird and wonderful how these things happen. Uh, but there's, like I say, there's the People's Health Alliance, there's the World Council for Health in the UK. We have brilliant speakers every week coming on, scientists presenting data. Mm -hmm. Same for Doctors for Patients UK. We have a meeting, weekly seminar. It's just really good to connect with. It's not just the, it's the networking, I think. It's very lonely when you take this position, believe me, particularly down here in Cornwall. It's been very sort of, very isolating anyway, because that's the place I chose to live. But yeah. um, when nobody talks to you in your visual, your church or your football team or your professional, I mean, all doctors and nurses have pretty much cancelled me now, shunned me. Um, and that's the way they deal with me now. And uh, it's just great to connect to people who are awake. And there's so much data being shared between us. And it's just a shame. The, the only thing that stops a lot of people talking out, speaking out is their, their personal circumstance. And I fully understand that because, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of pressure to to to, to be quiet, essentially, by their employers. Um, you know, even to say things like, uh, there's a doctor who spoke out just to say, you know, there's not enough data to support um you know, giving this to the to children, and he was threatened by his employer that will remove his license to practice just for saying we need to stop, stop for a minute, pause, investigate. Let's get some data here to convince ourselves. That's all he said. Um, you know, and some doctors are, are doing similar videos where they say, "Oh, informed consent matters," and being threatened by their employer to not be associated with the anti-vax movement. Well, they've just said informed consent matters. Really, is that yeah. is that? An, and, and what we need to do now, really, is we need to use the GMTs own standards back on them if you like because you know good medical practice guidance for the gmc say that we should you know if you've got concerns you know you're you're not following the, the standards if you don't vocalize them and what i've done you know yeah and that should be free of any sort of coercion or any mm. you know even if i'm wrong on this i should have the freedom to be concerned and, and vocalize it in the right way but no it's that cancel culture and it's 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 deep within the roots of medicine the nhs has always hated a whistleblower you know, there's yeah. many cases over the years, you know, there's that paediatrician, Bauer Garber, put in an intolerable situation um, and, you know, suspended for it. You know, she shouldn't have been doing what, you know, that she shouldn't have been put in that position. Chris Day was another example. You know, he's a junior doctor that was put into a position where there was a massive understaffing. Mm. You know, he's worked again, to my knowledge, you know, and like I said, the NHS hates a whistleblower. Why, why should that be? They've got whistleblower guardians in every trust being paid handsome salaries in managerial roles, not seeming to do much. 
I'm right. not a geek, you know. I remember starting my job here. The first thing I got was a, a pamphlet um, that said, you know, if, if you've got any concerns, speak to your freedom to speak up Guardian, they were called. And wow. I spoke to them about my treatment and I've not had a call back. <laughs> so they're kind of there. They've got a title and a nice salary, but I don't know, chocolate teapot sort of stuff. Tell us about what you faced as you spoke up, um, as you became more aware of what was happening with the disconnect between the information you were given and what you were seeing. Uh, you've, yeah, t tell us about how that was for you as a doctor, because you've been vocal, and I think your story, well, it may put off some, but also may give others hope and courage to actually speak their mind and do what they think is right. Yeah, I mean, it goes all the way back to last year, really, just observing. So I was in the Midlands for the initial part of the um, pandemic, inverted commas, um, and came down here. First, the, the notes to remember from that really was how quiet it was, very yeah. quiet times. Secondly, you know, we were never given any treatment advice. What should we tell these COVID patients? It was just like, if you can't breathe, get to hospital and have some Adazolam. If you can't, if you can breathe, then go back home and have some Pilensit. And, you know, that, that was it, really. And um I just I, then I moved down here and I just saw, you know, I started to see, you know, the first thing it was a mandate. People were saying, you know, mandates and that, that didn't sit right. I was I was hearing things in the centre that, you know, there certainly wasn't informed consent happening. It was just, you know, roll up your sleeve, Mrs. Jones. And they were asking men and women if they were pregnant, you know, that sort of stuff. You know, are you pregnant? On the little checklist, very small checklist. Uh, and then yeah. the, the needle was in the arm and you know for an initial period they let people sit for 15 minutes and they were rejoicing when they actually dropped the 15 minute you know we're talking about a novel drug here and, you know there were i remember the email going around saying oh we don't have to have people around that 15 minutes afterwards and rejoicing they could cram even more people into the in through yeah. the doors and then get more get more cash in the till essentially but yeah and i just sort of saw stuff i just saw that everyone with covid had been fully jabbed for covid I thought this doesn't seem to be the sign of a successful treatment where mm. everyone with COVID, I mean, people with, without without the vaccination were doing quite well. Thank you very much. Uh, and then I was starting to see that I was doing a lot more referrals, blood clots, a lot more cancer suspicious referrals, um, lots of weird skin reactions, neurology developing within close temporal proximity to the vaccine. And just started to speak out and say, guys, are you seeing this as well? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Um, and you, you, you get that kind of immediate sort of, push away saying, you know, anti-vaxxer. It's like, no, I've just asked you if you're seeing similar stuff to me, you know, and it's that label, you just get called a name and shut up really. And so yeah. I kind of tried a more academic approach and asked to present slides, presentations. I've got so many unpresented slide decks in my on my PowerPoint that, you know, I've, I've done them and I've, I've, I've got them ready to present, but nobody will listen. Nobody will give me an audience, even if they want to debate me and row. And that's been the really disturbing thing here, the lack of debate, you know, if I'm mm. wrong here sit me down and rehabilitate me you know if dave's got it wrong on informed consent and actually you are you know somehow getting some informed consent and telling patients exactly what's in this stuff you know some of the doctors don't even know it's mrna even now even today two and a half years in you say you know it's an mrna this is novel technology and no no here we go dave's off on another conspiracy theory it's like well they are at that level they don't know what they're injecting into patients yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I tried the academic approach and presenting, and then in the end, it came down to, to interviews um, to get the message out. You know, I, I wrote a couple of articles and, and just done, you know, the social media stuff really. But I mean, GMC have had me, um, and I've won that case, and that was just based upon um, social media posts. Um, I, I sent things like, you know, I always tried it in the early days to be very academic and very, you know, it was always peer-reviewed literature from Lancet journals, you know, high-level. Um, journals rather than you know Dave Cartland's thoughts I keep getting told you know keep your opinions to yourself but 
one's an opinion, not an opinion. If you yeah. quote HRA data or UK HSA data, it's not my opinion. It's what the data shows. And so that's what I've said to people, you know, stick to the facts, stick to what's verifiable, don't speculate. And that's what I've done. But, you know, I've, the GMC found their case against me. Um, they then escalated it despite closing the case to the NHS Performance Advisory Group. And I sat in front of a panel, presented, had to write a reflective essay, which I posted actually on Twitter, that anyone can read it out on Getter. Um, you know, and no one actually commented on the content of it. No one ever, ever engages with what I actually say. Oh. They just kept saying, Dave, this is about fitness to practice, whether you're fit to continue as a doctor. It's like, well, I've just presented you some hard-hitting data here about you know, the miscarriage rates in the Pfizer trial or the myocarditis rates from the, yep. the time study where, you know, one in 50 kids pretty much had raised troponin showing heart damage. You know, you need to be telling patients this. Oh, here we go again, conspiracy theorists. Uh, but, you know, they, I mean, the professional t bodies have tried to come and, you know, they've they found no case against me. And so, you know, the best way to deal with me is ignore me, pretend I'm not there. That's been what it's been about. So my recommendation to other doctors wanted to speak out, it's not been pleasant, but stick to the facts, stick to the facts, stick to the data, you know, always use peer-reviewed literature uh, and find some like-minded people to keep you sane along the way. Because that's, that's been the biggest attack all the way through this. You keep getting the connotations of, you're mentally ill, you're mentally ill, you're mad, you're conspiratorist, you've lost the plot. You know, colleagues of mine, friends of mine post on Twitter some pretty appalling things about me that I'm mad. It's like, well, give me a ring if you're concerned about my mental health. Yeah. Check on me. Because that's the other thing, you know, no one checks on you. Hmm. It's been bizarre. You know, I've, I've tried to contact my own GP to get a bit of help. And all they've done is text message. You know, I've tried to speak. So I found out. Hmm. What it is to get through to a GP myself. You know, I've cried out for help and said, please, can you help me? I'm struggling a bit here in this echo chamber. Down yeah. here normal. And they just text you a sick note. No contact. I've been signed off sick for a few months now. And um, the issue being is um, no doctor's spoken to me. Wow. Wow. It's incredible. <laughs> what, what, what is, I mean, um, group, uh, you've shown how group thing can be so dangerous, but uh, how, what is the, is it, an issue with what you posted online is it an issue with kind of people in the health profession hearing things you say and saying that's wrong and reporting you uh, i mean i guess there's a, a system in place to flag up concerns that individuals have within the healthcare system with colleagues or other people they meet professionally yeah I, I agree there are i mean this is what i'm saying it's, it's never really been a formalized process of sort of going for me really it's been um, so the, the GMC complaint came out of it. It was an embarrassment to read the complaints because they were just idiots off Twitter that had screenshotted, sent it into the GMC. I think there were about 15, 16 complaints. And they were sublime to the ridiculous. Um, I actually had a good laugh reading them. And the GMC have got bigger fish to fry, you know, and doctors, you know, giving massive amounts of medazolam to elderly people, for example. Um, you know, and they're going out for me, get, going for me for what? you know, trying to present myocarditis data at the coffee table at work. I do locums down here occasionally, um, you know, and I'll give what I call a COVID sermon. I'll tell patients, you know, the nurses or the healthcare assistants, you know, have you heard of the, you, you, you vaccinated pregnant women this afternoon, is that right? And they say, yeah. I said, did you know, you know, there's no data on the safety of this stuff in pregnancy. They were excluded from the trials, you know that. And I went, no, no, that can't be possible. We wouldn't be giving it, we, we, they're safe and effective. I went, but they're not safe and they're not effective. And here's the data to show, you know, there were 270 women that were pregnant incidentally in that trial. This is the outcomes. And you can see them go gray. I mean, firstly, the doctors disappear out of the room the senior doctors and the other junior doctors um, and you're left with a room full of kind of like the receptionist and they give you and they listen to you. Um, 
but it doesn't seem to sink in because the next week they're vaccinating pregnant women. <laughs> so, you know, they listen to you. I, I just don't know what my crime is. I keep saying this and uh, just posted a video actually reflecting on this year as to how I've gotten myself into this situation of, you know, just I've, I've stayed in the six lanes all the way through, you know, lockdowns, masks, pregnancy, children, um, vaccine injury, you know, vaccine injury. There's some appalling stories of the vaccine injured, the gaslighting, the uh, the lack of care that they've received. I've mentioned a couple of examples earlier. Um, what's the other one? Ethics. These are easy wins, you know, they, and I've stayed in those six lanes and, you know, I'm yet to receive any doctor contact me and say, Dave, this is what you've got this completely wrong about the children. There's absolutely a need to vaccinate kids. This is the data. Here you go. You know, I've appealed, you know, on social media, I've appealed in person to people to get this information and nothing. If it, it could be so easy to shut this crazy anti-vaxxer up, give him some data. You know, I'm, I'm quite keen to be wrong, by the way, um, because the truth of the matter is it's a very dark scenario playing out in front of us all i hope i'm wrong um, but i just want to be challenged no, it's the same everything i've seen scares me and i hope i pray that i'm wrong on it all because if we are right in our assessment of what we see it's mm. it's quite dark can i ask you what is the obviously as a as a doctor a you see a patient you hear what their uh, medical issue is, and then you recommend a course of action, a treatment. What happens on the whole vaccination issue? Are you are doctors required to do that? Is it is it depending on the GP uh, practice they work for? What's the situation in people basically being forced to give out something that they don't think is right? I, I missed your point there with the question. Sorry, I just so I just try I, I, as as a lay member of the public. I'm curious to know as a doctor, uh, what is it like? Uh, or do you get a shipment in of drugs and then you're told, well, this week you that you need to be giving these artists vaccines, or do you say no, we don't want that? Do you get a choice of what you get? Uh, what is what is the requirement upon a doctor for giving out something like the COVID vaccines? Yeah, pretty much you told. I mean, it was very much prescripted from the beginning. It was, um, you know, I, luckily my disclaimer is I've never vaccinated anyone, but I was, I was privy to the emails that went out. You know, this is this is happening. You know, your your batches are coming in this this day, and here's your computer module to train up how you you know administer and how you store it, etc., and what you do with right. the patients afterwards. And and you, you will do it. There's no question. You know, there's not not many people you know, stopped to think and, and research it, you know, that very few people, I mean, I just said no on day one you know, and, and no one really bothered me, but you know, people, you can tell now when you speak to people, they've got, they haven't got the foggiest about, you know, the basics of what's in this stuff or, you know, I know doctors are busy nowadays and the nurses are busy and they're flat out without breaks and stuff, but you know, this is a pandemic here. The, the, you know, the gravity of the situation is that you should be keeping up to date really. And, you know, engage you know if somebody's had the time like myself to research the other side of the coin just hear him out at least i don't even get heard it's not even a case of getting a minute with these people you know i've got a science background as well as a medical background mm. i know my stats as well so you know when people are misquoting stats that really irritates me this whole absolute relative risk reduction you know where they've made false claims about the efficacy of, of drugs but they're using you know dodgy statistics so you know it's uh, it's been a frustrating time yeah, but you, you just get told what to do. And that, that's kind of indoctrinated from your training as a medic. You know, you go to med school, you follow the crowd, you do well in your A-levels, you follow the crowd of clever kids into med school or law school, etc. Uh, and then you just get told, you know, this is this is the condition, this is how you treat it. These are the guidance from NICE. 
um, and you just learn algorithms. You don't get taught to think outside the box. You know, I've, and, and just recently I've been learning a lot of stuff about holistic ways of caring for patients, you know, stuff about nutrition and the gut biome, you know, stuff you're not taught about in med school. Nutrition, I don't think I had a lecture on nutrition ever. You know, it's so important to the body and the healing of the body. And, you know, big pharma didn't exist, you know, hundreds of years ago and people did okay, thanks. You yeah. know, on, on their herbal, you know, what came from a tree, what came from the ground. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a disturbing couple of years. T tell us about, um, it seems as though, and again, we've all changed our, I think, viewpoint under the tyranny in the last two and a half years, but it seems so that our healthcare system is set up for big pharma to profit from. And healthcare or the care of patients is not the top of the list. It actually is a industry to make money for these large pharmaceutical companies. Is that a, is that a fair enough assessment or am I being too harsh? Yeah, well, no, you're right. If you're thinking about a business model and you're a big farmer, you don't want a, a healthy cohort of people, really, do you? Mm. you know, I'll sound like a cynical old man now, but that, that is true. You know, you know, if you make people free of their disease, then you haven't got a steady stream of customers, you know, yeah. filling the coffers. Uh, and, you know, that's where a lot of the treatment you get now, a lot of the guidance always ends in drug, 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 drug. And that's what's been refreshing about what I've done the last few months is that I don't have to think drug, drug, drug. You know, that's not the end point anymore. I've, I've escaped the matrix in that respect and that I don't have to give a pill for every ill as I call it. Um, and that's what patients seek now. Even patients are indoctrinated to, to expect that's how you end most consultations now. You know, you're even taught in, you know, GP training. You know, that's the way if you've got a tricky, just give, just give. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, even if you think it's a viral infection, just give the amoxa, just give the script. Call it a delayed script, you know, just to kind of tick the box and put the patients had a transaction and they've had that you know, green prescription put in the hand and they've got a pill for, for their trouble. You know, it's that consumerism around medicine now. So, yeah, it's all about pills. And I saw that myself. I mean, over Christmas, I know it gets busy at pharmacies, but queues out the doors in all the pharmacies in Penzance where I live, just people just dependent on their massive bags of drugs to keep them ticking over or not. I, I guess the, the information doesn't... Uh, we've seen it because I guess we've been aware, but... We are, we're all the same. We all have access to the same information. I mean, last week I had Dr. Naomi Wolf on and she was talking about the hypertension data coming out and the higher risks. Uh, again, that's public. It's there to see. But I guess what I'm hearing from you with the medical profession, with the doctors, they, they aren't interested. They're basically given something to do and they do it. It's more robotic as opposed to questioning. Yeah, I think we've lost the art, really, of being sort of critical thinkers as doctors. I don't think you can become a doctor unless you're in, in some way robotic in that respect. You know, we're, you know the, the amount of reading of papers I've done recently, and you can read the headline. No, I've done it myself. You read the headline, and you think you've read you know, everything in that paper. Then you read the body of the text and the conclusion. And there can be some discrepancy, not only about the methods that they've used, statistical methods or methodology for the actual study itself, but actually conclusions don't match the findings sometimes so you know people nowadays have become very lazy in their academia now they want i've had doctors quote to me you know their rebuttals when they do give me a rebuttal it's like well i heard it on the bbc they want to hear it on radio four or you know radio one that's where they're getting they're not reading the lancet or the bmj and they're not reading peer-reviewed stuff anymore they, they're looking at sound bites memes headlines you know and, and that's partly because of the fact that everyone's just run ragged that's not an excuse um, but, you know, they are run ragged. The last thing you want to do after 12 hours in A&E is to sit down and peruse 
just the, the latest edition of the BMJ, do you? Um, so that in a way, that's a slight defence. But, you know, like I say, the, the, this is indefensible now. We're talking about vaccinating children. You need to know your stuff. You know, the, the, the level should be... No, and we see that in all other areas, for example, pregnancy, you cannot give any, you know, I keep using an example where there was a lady at a surgery I was locum in and she came to me for some advice and she just needed an antihistamine and some hemorrhoid cream. So I sent her into the, um, into the pharmacist and the pharmacist who is, um, you know, a jabber of the Cornish community in Truro, um, refused to get, give her over the counter. I said, just get it over the counter. You can get the ratadine and anosol, it's called. Um, and the pharmacy refused to give it to her. Um, as a, a paying customer, he said, you need to get a prescription because the safety data isn't there for the anosol and the loratadine. So I had to do a prescription for her. Yet this guy's vaccinating people, you know, th thrice wow. over who are pregnant. Um, th it's double standards. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, they've got doctors telling me they wouldn't vaccinate the children. Yet they'd vaccinate your children. It's, it, there's been some strange paradoxes of, of what I've witnessed from my fellow professionals. Yeah, wow. I'm the madman. Um I, I want to kind of finish just asking about that whole healthcare for patients side. I mean, I've seen the stories in New Zealand on the parents wanting unvaccinated blood. Um, and that's opened up a whole area of me looking into actually what exists, what doesn't exist. We've trusted our health system. We go when we go to our hospital and we just take whatever we're given. That whole side of um, on vaccinated blood, but then the whole issue of just doctors thinking, not just doing what they're told to do and what you're doing. And in my mind, as most people's mind, we just trust the NHS because private healthcare is unaffordable. Um, but what you're doing, you're trying to do some. So, I mean, tell us more about that because we we need to, a new, I guess, a separate, a parallel health system that actually doesn't just look at a drug solution and has a whole other, I mean, the vaccine blood really does concern me. If you're in an accident, well, do you need to have a freezer at home with your own blood? I, I don't know where we're going, but kind of talking to that about where we're going with a, a new type of healthcare, which reassesses the relationship with the patient and puts the patient first. It's, it's an interesting thought, really, isn't it? Because that, that's how it should be. That's how it should have always been. That's how the gold standard of, you know, when you pass your GPA exams, that, that's mm. all that you have to tick the boxes to, to get, you know, to become a doctor, to become a GP in particular. Um, so it's very odd that we have to say things like that, you know, and uh, go back to those sorts of principles. Because, But, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of things, plots and ideas going on in the background. We do need an alternative system, without doubt. And the one that we've got at the moment is not fit for purpose. We're in a critical incident again down here in Cornwall, you know, where there's queues out the door of 17 to 20 ambulances, never get less than that. Um, can't get people out at the other end of the hospital. You know, the delays for cancer should be two-week wait. You know, if you get told you've got a shadow on your lung by your GP... You want to be get seen fairly swiftly to know if it is or it isn't you know those weights are going to three to four weeks now you know if you've got a neurological problem you need referral you know you, if you get seen within a year you know that's that you're doing well if you've got a rheumatological condition god help you because it's over a year physio you've got a bad back um physiotherapist you know 12 weeks to see the acute physio well what use is that if you've got a bad back now and so it just needs from the ground up to be rebuilt. And again, going back to the PHA, People's Health Alliance thing, that that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to, um, you know, get communities in charge of their own health, people taking responsibility for their own health, and in doing so, massive 
community hubs, we call them, uh, of, of holistic practitioners, essentially, that have gotten together. Uh, and so, you know, if you're living in, you know, Bournemouth, I'm just naming a place off the top of my head, and, you know, you, you're struggling for healthcare, you can't get through TGP, have a look at the People's Health Alliance website, and you'll find that there's a hub local to you, and you can look at a directory of practitioners that are not just your allopathic doctors. There's very few of those in the group at the moment. You're looking at more kind of allied health professionals. So you've got your acupuncturists or your homeopaths, your reflex like physios, or, um, you know, all these different specialities. And, you know, at med school, you're taught that these people are crazy. You are, and without doubt, you know, you're taught that they're a little bit out there in their thinking, they're, they're quacks. And actually they know their stuff, you know, and they get their patients better and they, they know the results, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's not a lot of money for big pharma to make from herbal stuff, but, you know, these people have got the results. You know, and um, this is what we need to do. We need to question, and I've started to question everything I've learned at med school, you know, things like statins, you learn all through med school if your cholesterol is this and your um, differential cholesterols are this, give a statin because statins again, actually, and the advice we give to diabetics is quite, you know, you get people that do the opposite of what the doctor tells them and actually do okay. They, they do these high fat diets or intermittent fasting yep. and they seem to cure themselves and go against the doctor's advice. So my mind's been open really to question everything from the, the 10 year training that I had really from med school. And um, yeah, but tell us about people's health Alliance. Was that the organization? Yeah, that's the one I, I just mentioned. So we just, yeah. like I say, it, it started off as a very small project that's now grown. It's gone international now. Um, lots and lots of hardworking people that have you know, given a lot of time for very little money, if any. Um, and and, and this, we've got this going now. And, you know, this is this is what we need to do now as people. That's why we call it People's Health Alliance. It's it's for the people and it's by the people. Um, and so we've, it's, it's a kind of mixing of talents, really. And it works really well. You know, people have had some really good results from it. And, and that is basically setting what setting up, um, you said those hubs, because obviously, how does it work for you? If people go on to drcartland.com, they can click on that. They can have an appointment. Is that for those who are within the area in Southwest or can other people be part I'm of that? I'm on the telemedicine service. So again, I'm on the directory for People's Health Alliance um, as okay. an allopathic doctor. Um, and it's just telemedicine at the moment. Again, it's whether I decide as it grows, whether to, to get some premises and, and set up as an individual. Uh, again, it's got limitations, telemedicine, but also my geography being so far away, you know, so it'll be difficult to get face to face done personally for me. But, you know, that's, that's why we need a network of people. So if you can't see Dr. Cond in the far southwest, you can see Dr. Jones in the Midlands, for example. And that's why we need to build this network of allopathic doctors, homeopathic doctors, naturopathic doctors, functional medics. You know, so there's a, a catalogue really that isn't the NHS. I mean, people can't get the NHS to answer the telephone now. Um, you know, it's 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 become a real bad system now. It just needs to be completely well. What what's happening? We're seeing now. It needs to be completely restructured, and unfortunately, we have to just call it a day. I think. Um, you, you're not thinking of moving to West London, are you? I mean, you could be my doctor. I'd very happily have you as my doctor, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a few of the doctors in the group want me to go to London. They're calling me to the big smoke. I went to Westminster actually to do um, uh, to a conference. That was really good actually for the World Council for Health. Um, yeah. It's just so, so lovely to be amongst us. London seems to be quite awake from the experience I had. Um, and I didn't see many masks, actually. That's always a good sign. You can tell, you can sort of gauge what the what the, what the the level of COVID awareness is um, by the amount of masks being worn in the locality. But yeah, it's been really good. And, uh, yeah, World Council for Health is another great organisation of doctors that are collectively learning together, yeah. 
uh, I've got all the right principles in place. And uh, again, two, two really great organisations for the public, really, the viewers tonight to look into, People's Health Alliance and World Council for Health. Um, just to finish off, are you fairly hopeful looking at these new groups and alliances and connections that have built up because of this? Uh, it seems as though there is a, a, a large pushback and there is a system being built up and set up. Uh, maybe it's not as quickly as we would like it, but it is happening. Um, are you hopeful as you look to the future? I mean, you're a family man, as am I, so we're not just looking at ourselves. We're also looking at a future generation coming up and access they have to healthcare. So are you, when you look forward to 2023 and further, are you hopeful with those new alliances? Without doubt, yeah. This, all, all these things that I've mentioned, like I said, the People's Health Alliance, World Council for Health, the Doctors for Patients UK, it's going from strength to strength daily. as a snowball effect. I think what we really need now is just the dam to burst, the truth to come out. And there's going to be major trust issues for starters. And I think that's going to drive the transformation from what we have now to what we plan for the future. Then things will start moving, I think, and people will. You know, those silent doctors that have been kind of on the fence thinking, you know, I've seen this and I've seen that, but I'm just too worried to speak out because for whatever the reason, they'll then say, right, OK, I'm going to jump ship from the NHS. And that's happening now. People are you know, retiring earlier, doing less and less hours. They're ready to go. They're ready to shift into a new system. Um, we just got to be brave now as we move forward as to how that gets designed and what that looks like from the from the bottom up, really. And put the patients okay. first again. That's what it should be about, you know, patients first. I've worked at surgeries where I'm the only doctor, but there's 20 people in the building, all administrative or managers of managers. It's just we need to reverse that around and get more, you know, more hands on deck, more health clinicians rather than the, the massive bureaucracy in the NHS, so many salaries paid on ridiculous things, ridiculous positions with fancy titles and it needs to change big time. This is public money. It needs to be spent on the public. Yeah, absolutely. Let's finish. Uh, can I just bring up that is uh, Dr. Cartland's website, drcartland.com. Uh, go and make use of that. And if you're not following him already at Dr. Cartland on getter and at dr underscore cartland on twitter make sure and you're following him um david thank you so much for your time i appreciate you coming along and the uh, just as christmas is finishing off i know you'll have many commitments but thank you for coming along and sharing your thoughts and where we are and i think ending with that hopeful future outlook um it's very positive it's very important to have that because i all always think that we're hit by so many negative issues and it's good to have those um i guess illuminating those initiatives that we have moving forward so thank you so much for joining us tonight no thanks for having me peter can i just do a quick plug again i know i've mentioned doctors doctors for patients uk but i just want to appeal really to any of those doctors that i mentioned that are in that middle ground that are a bit worried a bit scared um, you know they're seeing things in the clinic and they just want to find a like-minded group of doctors it's a very active group very supportive group and uh, just look up the doctors for patients uk website we've just done a press release for a group of doctors that have put out a montage of concerns to suspend the, the vaccine and and you know you can you can reach reach out to us through that that website doctors for patients uk and then, um, you know, we'll be there to, to help you along. Okay. What's the, I'm just looking at, 
doctorsforpatientsuk.com. Yeah, Doctors and there's a for press release for, for the recent video that we put out. But it's, again, we meet as an educational thing as well. We have a meeting. We've had some really big speakers on the last few weeks. We've had Peter McCulloch on there. We've had Git Van Bosch on there. Uh, we've, it's been really, it's grown massively exponentially. And so it's a, it's a safe place for people to speak out um, and to, you know, it's that networking as well and just, you know, safety in numbers. Well, let me just bring it up and people can just have a look at it as we finish off. That's what you'll get when you go on the website, Doctors for Patients UK. Uh, go and have a look at it. And I'm these things do fascinate me because I'm someone who is hopeful, who's optimistic always. And I always want to know what is available to us, the public. So, David, thank you so much for coming along and sharing those initiatives. It's really, really so important. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks again for having me. Not all. Let me just finish off with our viewers. Thank you for tuning in and watching. I hope you've had a wonderful time over Christmas. Uh, we will be back with you on Saturday. We're going to put a, a montage of videos that we have with Jeff Wyatt, who one of the heroes of 2022, one of the most outspoken individuals against the, uh, against the COVID tyranny we saw, uh, passed away a number of months ago. And we put together a lot of our video clips of him, interviews, outside courts, many things. So we'll put that out on Saturday as a celebration of Jeff's life and hopefully will inspire you to speak up and be courageous where you are. So on that, I wish you a wonderful rest of your Thursday evening and we'll be back with you on Saturday. So thank you so much and good evening. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.